0: Best. Um, I'll say this: like you will be um, you will you will be blessed to sit under the leadership of Kevin Webb and Sophie Brent and the pastors of Lakeview Baptist Church. Um, and so I implore you to not squander the opportunity that that is before you now. Um, and and it's well too, right? Like I don't um, <laughs> I don't know if y'all have seen that little video where it's like uh, my pronouns are he, not him, because I'll never be him. Uh, but that's kind of what I feel like every time I get to do this. Um, but I say that. Um, I say that just because uh, your church staff consists of of some of the most gifted teachers and leaders in the entire Southern Baptist Convention, um, and and I'll stand by that. Um, so so take advantage of this, uh, because when you're in my position, you'll realize just how quickly the time goes by. Um, but okay, so box over. Um, so, over the past few weeks, uh, Kevin has been uh, carefully taking us through a study of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit's role in glorifying Christ, and, and he has done this in order to prepare us for the series that we are now in, which is the Fruit of the Spirit. And last week, uh, Kevin taught us, uh, taught on love, and this week is joy, just following a natural progression. Uh, so, if you want to go ahead and flip your uh, Bibles to Galatians 5 again, uh, we'll start in verse 16 and go through verse 24. Um, and we will also follow uh, a pretty similar um, format to what uh, Kevin has done in uh, the past few weeks, um, where we will start with a definition and then look at how Christ exemplifies joy. And then uh, we'll, see, uh, we'll see an application. But I wanted to start off in Galatians 5 again, um, even though we know the fruit of the Spirit, and even though we've spent the past however many weeks um, in this chapter, uh, I just feel that uh, tonight a bit more context is important to where um, I would like to take this and uh, you'll understand in a moment. Um, But I'll also reemphasize the point that was made by Kevin last week uh, in saying that the important thing to pay attention to here with the fruit of the Spirit is that uh, we have, like, if we are in Christ, we have a singular fruit, right? So, So it's not fruits of the spirit, it's, it's fruit, singular. Um, but I would even go f- so far as to say that, that these characteristics are all one and the same. So kind of like algebra, like if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. Um, and if the fruit of the spirit is love and peace and patience and kindness and so on and so forth, then love is joy, joy is peace, peace is patience, and patience is kindness. So like in this context, um, I would argue that they are all one and the same, um, but this is primarily to highlight the fact that in this series, um, there will inevitably be a little bit of overlap um, in passages and, and things that we uh, refer to, um, but I'll say more on this in a minute, <clears throat> in a minute. Uh, and we'll start uh, just to read in verse 16. Um, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It's important. and those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Um, I'll open us up in a word of prayer. <clears throat> um, Father God, um, we, we praise you uh, for this opportunity to uh, gather around your word and to study it and to see what you would have for us. And God, I pray that um, as this progresses, that that we would come to understand joy in such a way as it is uh, reflective of you and, and ultimately brings more honor and glory to your name. But, Father, I, I also ask that, that as we are studying the fruit of the Spirit, that we might also reflect these things in ourselves to point to you. And so like when others see us, Lord, I, I, just, I just pray that we would be so countercultural that people would have to ask questions that they would see your fruit alive in us and know that we belong to you. Father God, I pray that you speak through me, and that you soften our hearts and open our minds. Um, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So, um, we've all probably read this passage a dozen times, uh, especially over the past few weeks, but I wanted to broaden the context Uh, just to highlight these three things, and these are not the points for the night, I just wanted to draw your attention to. Um, First is that, uh, as we saw in in verse 16, that walking by the Spirit keeps us from gratifying the desires of our flesh. Right? So this would be our carnal, worldly, sinful yearnings. And therefore, if the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Christ within us, then it stands to reason that if we are walking by the Spirit— then we are living in such a way that we are constantly reminded of the glories of Christ. And secondly, I wanted to see that the desires of the Spirit are opposed to the desires of the flesh. So we are, uh, we are fallen, sinful creatures, and we also have fallen, sinful desires. And these two are opposed to each other so that, it, so that we are kept from doing the things that we want to do. And this thus brings us to the third thing that I wanted to highlight. Um, and and I, don't, I don't know if this is true of you, but anytime I read uh, verses 19 uh, through uh, 21, I'm always kind of convicted because I see so many of these um, workings of the flesh within myself um, on a daily basis. Um, and so, um, so without the powerful and redemptive work of Christ, all of these things would be true of me, right? Um, but if you've been freed from any of these things, like, congratulations, you're you now able to see the work of God's grace in your life. And if you're here tonight and you're not a follower of Christ, then I would also hope, uh, and, and it, is, it is my desire, um, that tonight will highlight the splendors of what it is to actually know Christ. Um, so at this point, a question should arise. Of of, like how we can be, um, of of how we can display the fruit of the Spirit that are made manifest in Christ. And if you remember the point that I was trying to make earlier about how all these characteristics that make up the fruit of the Spirit um, are all one and one in all, well, if this is true, that these things are one and that they um, are reflective of the personhood of Christ and that we also reflect Him by these characteristics coming alive in us, Then that also means that all of this comes to play for us as believers in the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ by which we are able to receive the Holy Spirit, who does what? Who glorifies Christ in and through us. And so this is vital for tonight's points uh, or for tonight's um, trajectory because without the crucifixion and the resurrection, like without these two events, like we would not have been able to receive the Holy Spirit. So what I want us to consider is that if in the worst event of human history and the worst possible torment known to man all occurred to Christ and still he was able to go forth and joy and, and endure, like endure this torture with joy, then it means for us, it means that either on our worst days or our best days, we can and should exemplify the exact same joy. So joy is possible regardless of our circumstances. This is what I want us to see tonight. And so with all this in mind, we'll start with our first point. What is joy? What is joy? I think it's crucial, uh, before we go any further, um, that we begin with an established understanding of what joy actually is. And and I want to do this for several reasons, but primarily because I'm fully aware of the fact that there are... um, or that, that rather, at some point in your life, you will ask yourself why your heart does not react to the things of Christ like you see in others. Like, at some point, you will feel as if you are emotionally detached and disconnected from the Lord. And for some of you, that might even be right now. And so, how can I delight in the Lord when my heart has been hardened, or if it has grown cold and unaffectionate toward the Lord? I would simply say this that, that my hope, again, is that a proper understanding of what joy is will help. So let's define it. Uh, John Piper defines joy as a feeling. That's it. This is absolutely earth shattering information, um, but, but he has a point. Um, <laughs> he says, Joy is a feeling, not an idea, not a conviction, not a persuasion or a decision, but a feeling or an emotion. And he goes on to say, and he says, and the difference between an idea and a feeling is that we do not have immediate control over our feelings. Right? So like, so like the point that he's trying to make with this is that as Christians, this kind of places us in an interesting position because scripture is riddled with places where we are commanded to evoke any array of these emotions. Right? Like for instance, in Ephesians, we are commanded to rejoice in the Lord. Proverbs tells us to fear the Lord, and at other times we're told to not be jealous or to delight or to be grateful, and the list could go on and on. And therefore this means that the Bible actively requires of me things that I, by myself, cannot immediately control. At which point it is totally easy to become frustrated and be like, God, how can you do this? You know, like, like how, can, how can I be a sinner and not even have any say over it? Augustine has his well-known prayer where he writes, Father, command what you will and grant what you command. So as we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit and specifically joy, it will help to know that by the power of the Holy Spirit and through the incarnation of Christ, that is his deity dwelling among us in his flesh, that God the Father provided the means of grace through which we will be enabled do all that he asks of us it's important I also want us to see joy as a realization of God's purpose for our lives and this will be kind of a long point so um, I hope you can follow along Um, so joy is a feeling yes but it is also the result of a covenanted promise and this is where if I could say the sermon in a sentence I would say that joy is the process of rectifying that which sin destroyed, namely, our ability to know God and be like him. I'll repeat, joy is the process of rectifying that which sin destroyed, namely, our ability to know God and be like him. And so, for this, if we go all the way back to the covenant that God made with Adam in Genesis 1 and 2, we will see that man was made to be in communion with God. But this was disrupted, and and I'll explain what I mean. So um, as you may know, and it's okay if you don't, um, a covenant, according to the biblical example, is a commitment made between God and another person. And this defines his relationship with them. So he is great, he is God, and we are not. And so it is only according to his terms that we see how we may have a relationship with him. However, each covenant also comes with promises and expectations where if fulfilled, then there is a reward, but if failed, then there is penalty. So this is so that there is always a motivation for our obedience to this covenant. So now as it relates to joy in the Adamic covenant, God gave Adam the authority to have dominion over the earth and to subdue it. And here, the only terms that were set was that Adam was not, to eat from the, uh, was not to eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if this rule was followed, then the prize would be eternal life, um, where the Father would dwell with man forever in a perfect union. However, if this, uh, if this rule was broken, the penalty was death. Um, so when Adam broke this rule, it illustrated that he was no longer loyal to, um, to God, but rather to Satan. And then from here on out... All creation, all of creation was cursed and God was no longer pleased to dwell among man. And therefore, this disrupted the intended purposes um, of, of, of God's relationship with his created beings. Thus, this brought upon us the curse of the covenant where we are all spiritually dead and morally depraved, meaning that joy is now either lost or misplaced. And here... Samuel Renahan says the idemic covenant was a supreme blessing and privilege. It was an opportunity for mankind to dwell in blissful communion with God for all eternity. And if Adam obeyed, creation would reach consummation in which there is no distinction between heaven and earth. All of earth would be as much of a place of divine presence and communion as heaven is and mankind would dwell with God, sinless and blissful. This is important because man was created for a purpose that is now incapable of being fi- uh, fulfilled apart from a merciful and divine intervention from the Father. Right? Like, like, all was perfect, everything was as it ought to be, and God was dwelling among us as he intended, and what we now read of as the fruit of the Spirit was just a natural process, of, uh, which was a natural part of the world. Like, it didn't need a title. That uh, is just how everything was. Um, but upon the fall, uh, where there was love, uh, there is now enmity. Where there is joy, there is now strife. Where there was peace, there is now division. And what was the fruit of the Spirit is now the works of the flesh. And to further support the idea that joy is the process by which um, we are partaking in, rectifying what sin destroyed, like, what is the general trend of Scripture? Right? like It is man seeking unity with God and failing. Like We see this in the Adamic covenant, and in the Noahic, and Abrahamic, and Mosaic, and in the Davidic covenant. We also see this as well as, um, we also see this in the covenant of grace, right? But except with the covenant of grace, Christ was finally able to act as the full and final substitutionary atonement on our behalf. And what this means is that he died to grant what mankind had since desired a return to the presence of the Father. And so scripture also supports this, for if all as it were at the start, like if, if everything is currently as it was in Genesis 1, then everywhere we, where we see people striving for joy or striving toward joy in the New Testament would be already complete. Because almost always when joy is mentioned, in the New Testament, it is, either in res- it is in response to either joy in salvation, joy in spiritual maturity, or joy in God's presence. And for example, in Luke fifteen seven, Jesus is quoted here as saying that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than in the 99 who need no repentance, meaning that in a perfected world, there would be no repentance because there would be no sin. Which, mean that, which would mean that the joy would already be complete because all of the lost sheep would be found. And so if we are living in a Genesis 1 world, and if all our joy has been fully completed by being in a perfected realm in which we are in the presence of the Almighty God, then there would be nowhere else uh, for us to direct our joy because everything that provokes it would be standing before us. However, that is not where we find ourselves. And so until that day comes, our joy is presently being held in Christ, of whom the Holy Spirit has made alive in us and from whom we have much to learn, especially as we are partaking in this rectifying cycle that sin destroyed of our sanctification and of our pursuit of righteousness. So what is most innate innate within us is to see a restored Eden and to see our relationship with God reconciled. And Christ is the one who does this. So, if joy is the process by which we may be unified with the Father, and if Christ is the one who does this, then we should look at how he exemplifies this joy, and we'll see what this means for us. So, second point. Joy exemplified in Christ. <coughs> Joy exemplified in Christ. Um, So as I was studying this and and trying to figure out what to do with joy and this fruit of the Spirit, um, I I was convinced that, (laughs) excuse me, uh, I was convinced that joy as seen in Christ is actually not found in in the Gospels, um, as as you might think, as I expected, um, but actually in the book of Hebrews. Um, So if you will, um, flip with me to Hebrews 12. We'll be looking at verses uh, 2 through 4. <clears throat> it says, it reads Look into Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Guys, for the purpose of this study, like these verses will be the most important thing that we read tonight. And this is because if this is the example of Christ that we see in Scripture, then it means that our typical understanding of joy is way off, right? Like, initially, I would conceive joy to be always smiling and always optimistic and always cheerful, at which point I thought it was kind of ironic that I got to teach this because I'm not those things. Um, But, but, but like, this just proves, like, this section just proves um, that joy is not just cheer and, and, and optimism all the time. Like, it, it can't be. Because if it were, then what 2 Corinthians 6.10 says, where Paul, Paul is speaking to the Corinthians, and he says, For I am sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. If joy is just smiling all the time, then then, like, that verse makes no sense. It makes no sense whatsoever. So, like, keep this in mind as we're going forward, because, like, our, like our, my, my understanding of joy was challenged through this. Um, so, uh, taking a closer look at the passage, like what does this tell us? It tells us that Jesus is the founder and the, and the perfecter of our faith. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So what does this mean? It means that as founder, he is the leader of our faith. He is the chief principle. of, or rather the example by which we should follow and devote our every effort. And it also means that as perfecter, that he will also bring our faith into a state of completeness, something that we have never been able to do um, or, or accomplish by our own accord. So these, these two points are, are, are big. But this passage also tells us that Jesus was able to endure the agony of the cross and... Um, if you remember um, when Kevin was doing uh, his series on John last year, um, there toward the end, um, he talked about, right, like right before his crucifixion, he talked about just how Jesus knew fully what was coming, right? So like, so, so Jesus knew fully what was awaiting for him, or what was awaiting him, and so much so that from the depths of his anguish, right before he was crucified, he actually sweat his own blood, Right? So like, this wasn't just a sudden event. This wasn't a surprise to Jesus. Like, this was something that, that he knew was coming and that like, he spent his whole life leading up to. And so he was fully aware of what was going to happen from the start. This passage tells us that Jesus was able to endure the agony of the cross and the immense shame that afflicted him for the joy that was set before him. And this joy... Was the, was, the, was, was the joy of saving you and me. And of course, only then he was perfected through his sufferings and temptations where he now rests forever at the right hand of the throne of the Father. So Jesus was and is the reconciliatory power by which man may once again renew their joy and place it where it was first conceived and where it rightly belongs with the Father. And this also means that if we practice a joy as exemplified by Christ, then it will be one who has its roots in a salvation that leads us back to our Creator and one that remembers the founder and perfecter of this very salvation. Um, and and I, don't, I don't think I have time to... Um, Support this uh, with the other verses, uh, but I'll give you the references if you want to go back and look at this. Um, so if you want to write this down um, John 15, verses 7 through 11, John 16, 19 through 24, 1 John 1, 3 through 4, and then lastly, Matthew 5.12. Um, and with that, we will move on to our final point. What is this joy, what is this example of joy that we see in Christ, Like, what, what does this mean for us? First, um, we'll, we'll, well, we'll actually take this in, in two different sections, um, or two different phases, really. Um, but first, um, as we were reading Hebrews, we saw that joy uh, was the thing that allowed Christ to Uh, endure the cross and the wrath of God and the sin of the world, really, ultimately. Um, And at the very very beginning of this study, um, I mentioned that through his persecution, that is like through his crucifixion, but also through his resurrection, we are now able to obtain the exact same joy that gave Christ the strength to suffer. Meaning that as it was for Christ, joy for us will also be the means through which we may endure the hardest days of our lives. And these days will surely come so long as we are living under the effects of the Adamic Covenant. And so here's the thing, um, and and I'll get personal with you guys, like, what terrifies me more than anything is being someone like David, uh, where we see the Lord as a part of this covenant with him, actually punishing him for the actions that he did that violated the terms of, of, of this covenant. Um, and, and what I mean by this is that sometimes it would actually make me sick to my stomach to think about the implications of my own sin. And I, and I would ask myself if the results of my current state in life are due to the sins that I previously committed. And, and, and I don't know if, if any of this is resonating, um, but if it is, I will simply say that the chief end of man is not to gratify the desires of the flesh. It is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And so if your fear is that your sins have caused suffering and know this: the very sins that you have committed and the very sins that you will commit have already been paid for, and the work of Christ uh, and the and the work that Christ has done on the cross will ultimately result in your adoption into the family of God. And that's a very special thing to remember. And so, when this is understood and rightly applied, I can pray for the Lord's grace to see things in a different light. And, and truly and sincerely say that, that come what may, O oh Lord, your will be done. Even if this means that I spend my entire life working towards something and almost attaining it, yet missing it by an inch because the reality that is Hebrews 12, the Father disciplines those whom he loves because he is treating you as sons. So, I'm just going to ask you this. Like, like, For a lot of you, there is something that you actively desire. There's something that you actively desire more than anything else, whether that is physical health or a successful career or academics or whatever. If the Lord brought you to the place to where the thing that you desire above all else was right in the palm of your hand, and even lived and enjoyed for a time, and then gone in an instant. For the sake of your sanctification, could you still delight in the Lord? And would the joys of, of His saving grace be enough for you? Like, like, is our salvation enough? And like even even this, like could you could you rejoice in the Lord for him molding you into the image of Christ and chiseling away at that which is most dear to you if it will ultimately lead you further down the path of your own righteousness? Right? Like like if I want to glorify God then then I hope he chisels what is most what is most dear to me if if it if it will result in in me looking more and more like him. College might be the place uh, or it might be the time where where some of this begins to take place. Um, And and that was certainly the case for me. Um, It started off in um, having to uh, surrender uh, my uh, life goals. Um, I certainly didn't think that I'd be here at this point in time doing this. I thought I'd be in law school. Um, I'm not. Um, So it was was my life goals. Um, It was an SGA election that hurt my pride um, um, not having the community that I wanted um, and and I say these- I say these things kind of like tongue in cheek but and like these were these were real trials for me like i like like what characterized my college experience the most was was just anxiety over all these things and so so I'll say this like. And, and if this hurts, what well, I'm about to say, like I, I would encourage you to just like reflect on it, either tonight or, um, or at some point. Like we are not here to partake in life's pleasures. In the moment when that which was created is the source of is, is the source of more of our joy than the creator, then he will take it away. And I pray that he will, actually. And that doesn't mean that life will be boring. It just means that we need to be reminded of our first love. And the thing is, is that like, whatever it is, it it might be taken in a day. It might be taken 40 years from now, after it's had time to root um, deeply within you. Um, The thing to remember is that all things are for his glory, and all things are for your good. So he is treating you as sons. So to lighten that truth. Because this is all done so that we may share in his holiness. That's Hebrews 12, 11. So that we might share in his holiness. And this is exactly why and how James can command us to count the joys of trials, or to, to count the trials in this life as joy. That's how he does that because like, because when, when the Lord is molding us and chiseling away at that like, which we hold dear and might even have become idolatrous, like, like that's sanctification. You know? and, and he is restoring his rightful place within our lives as head. And so joy is deeper than any temporal satisfaction. And if it is possible for the martyr, then it is also possible for the tempted and the tried. Now, if I'm going to highlight this, um, then I I should probably uh, give some tips uh, for how to do it. Um, So if you will, uh, turn to 2 Corinthians 3. As you're flipping there, um, in this chapter, Paul is talking to the Corinthians about the superiority of the new covenant. And here, these people, um, the church in Corinth, they are incapable of seeing Christ because their minds have been hardened. Like they don't, they don't believe him to be who he said that he was. Um, so their minds were hardened and a veil was placed over their hearts. That's what it says. Um, and this means that they were kept from partaking in the fullness of Christ. Now, starting in verse 16, it says, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And pay attention here, verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, why would I take this here? Why would I, why would I reference this verse? Again, if our joy is in the process by which we are partaking in the realization of God's purpose for our lives and rectifying that which sin destroyed, then this joy should be, and I might even say has to be, rooted in Christ. An important, uh, the important lesson here is that, if you'll notice, the word used to explain the, the way in which we change from one degree to another is not conformed. It doesn't say conformed. Instead, it says transform, like be renewed. Um, uh, um, it says uh, we, are, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So here, like the thing to notice is that nowhere in the New Testament are we told to conform. Nowhere. And therefore, what I'm, what I'm trying to get at here is that if you are merely trying to follow Christ and to perfect your Christian faith by merely conforming to a set of rules or by just simply trying to follow, uh, follow like, what you feel to be morally good, then you will fail. And this approach will not work. Like Your faith and your joy cannot be sustained only by obedience. We're not legalists, right? Like, like, the law condemns, but it is Christ who forgives and grants us this freedom. We are instead told to be transformed. Transformed how? By falling in love with Jesus Christ over and over again every single day of our lives. And we know that this will work because of what the last part of verse 18 says. For this comes from the, Spirit, from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Spirit. This comes. It is actively going forth to you. You are actively being equipped to do this. And so your heart will not soften to the things of Christ, nor will you feel this emotional connection to Him if you are just merely attempting um, to abide by a few rules that make you look good. And, and I don't say that to be hard. I really don't. I just say this, that like the idea of 2 Corinthians... And it's also the idea in, in um, Hebrews 12, uh, 2 and 3, verses 2 and 3, where we are to look at Jesus. That's so what it says, to consider him so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. We'll flip back there. Um, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, look at this verse, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. So, in closing, this is a study of joy, yes, but it is also a study about the one who will one day complete it. what I want us to remember, what I want us to know and take away, is that a joy that sustains us through the worst days of our lives, and a joy that allows our faith to persevere until the end, is a joy that finds its ultimate identity in the life of Christ. And one that holds fast to the wonderful works of God. That's joy. Um, And... Uh, I'll just close this in. You know what? Actually, instead of me closing prayer, uh, we haven't done this in a while, I would, I would love it if you all would um, just sit and, and pray to yourself. Um, pray by yourself. Um, and, and just focus on the Lord. Um, ask Him to challenge the ways in which uh, you are displacing your joy. Um, ask Him to... Um, Ask him how you might, like, allow him to be your main source of it. And then uh, Ben will come up in a few minutes. We'll close.